Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Ovius. Ovius is an incredible spoken word artist. I had the pleasure of witnessing his uh, grace, his, his beautiful words at an incredible uh, concert in Tulum, Mexico, and it inspired me, and I know what it's going to inspire you. So I asked him to come on the show to share both uh, the grace of his spoken word as well as his insights, which I think you'll find tremendous value in. So I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. I know you will. And before jumping into it, I want to give a shout out to my sponsor, which is one of my favorite products. It's a coffee alternative called Mudwater. Mudwater consists of all organic ingredients lauded by cultures old and young for their health and performance benefits. It only has a seventh of the caffeine of coffee and gives you natural energy focus, uh, but without the jitters and the crash associated with coffee. It's all organic, natural ingredients, cacao, masala chai, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, chaga, cordyceps, reishi, and lion's mane. Uh, some of my favorite adaptogenic mushrooms. I think you will love it. If you're keen, you can use the code PEAKMIND at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Give it a try. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce the one, the only, Obius. What's the point of being alive if you can't be yourself? If you're living a false identity, what kind of truth are you telling yourself? I mean, that's like giving your passport to someone else and watching them reach a destination that was meant for you. Now think about how you felt all those times you altered the rhythm of what your heart was beating, the rhythm of what your heart was feeling. I mean, what's the point of reaching the ceiling if the view you're seeing isn't aligning with your point of view? For years, I was trying to find a clue on how to defeat the blues of the world we live in, we are living in times of attention where we think success is measured by likes and mentions pretending to be something that we are not. So when times get rough, we're not loving ourselves enough. I mean, your first marriage should be with yourself. When you tie the knot between you and your spirit's health, so I measure my wealth by how much I'm loving myself and not the zero, the zeros in my bank account. Now take that into account, because every day we are gaining debt. Why? Because time is the most valuable commodity, and every day we have less and less of it to be fulfilled in life. So if you're not being yourself, you are wasting your days and nights in a whirlpool of depression, swimming in self-oppression when you put yourself in doubt. I know you know this feeling. I know you know what I'm talking about. So let us shine like we were meant to be. And let me be the moon, knowing that I'll wake up to the sunshine that is my life. Every time I'm being myself, I'm being authentic to the portrait of my DNA. So I'm being true to myself today, knowing that every scar will give my life its purpose. And I know it's worth it because life is a bumpy road that will try to keep you astray from the core of who you really are. But I want to go far and I want to walk through the world as me. Otherwise, I'm walking the mile in someone else's shoes, so I refuse to hide these markings because what better way to wear your skin proudly than with the trademarks that have marked the lessons and deeds of the blessings because they take you one step closer to realizing that all that smoke was just the illusion of fear. And when you know it's fear, 
you're able to walk through the shadows. Listen to your heart. Step into the light and show the world how proud you are and show them what you were meant to be and tell them, hey, I'm going to be just fine because all of my imperfections is what makes me perfectly divine. Beautiful. I'm here with Ovius. It's a real pleasure, my people. And uh, we're here, Hotel Panamera, Tulum, Mexico. You and I met, you did the, a beautiful, beautiful spoken word piece uh, with Eduardo Castillo. Mm -hmm. And you and I, I was walking out that night and I had my bicycle and I was walking by and I saw you out of the corner of my eye and I kept walking and then I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta acknowledge. So I turned around and I came up to you and I said, man, I was just, I was deeply touched and I, you know, kind of touched my hands to my heart. Yeah. And then you and I wound up on a journey till five in the morning, yeah. uh, adventures through Tulum uh, and have been uh, on adventures since. Yeah. But man, I'm glad to sit down with you, my friend. Me too, man. It's good to be here with you, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, we're off to a good start. Our friendship is off to a good start. Man. It is. And, um, yeah, I'm grateful too, man, that we, that we connected for real. Yeah. Yeah, you and I, it was like, there's not that many people where you feel like you're just like, all right, yeah, that's that's my kind of people. Yeah. But I think um, based on what we've shared with each other, I think there's a mutual um, sense of that, of that, okay, this is this is my dude. This is like, this is, this is we got to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So when we were chatting on the beach the next day as the sun was setting, I was like, you know what, let's have you on the podcast because, I mean, we talked, I mean, we did, we talked from 90s hip-hop to the purpose of life to mm -hmm. all the things. Yeah. And I, I feel like the, the audience would really benefit from your perspective. One of the things you mentioned in the piece, at least uh, in my listening, is really around this notion of self-love and that idea of marrying yourself first. Mm -hmm. So can you give a little context? Because I feel like societally, we are always encouraged to consume our way to happiness, right? It's like, if only I have this, then I will be happy. And that this could be the perfect partner. This could be the Mercedes. This could be the home. And, you know, I think what we know now is it's not in having that we become happy. It's who we're being that leads to us creating that which mm -hmm. fills our life commensurate, I think, with our inner journey. And I feel like you so eloquently speak about this notion of what it means to love yourself. Can you just share a little bit about what that piece means to you and what insights you've garnered in the process of self-love? Well, um, so when I, when I write poems, I really aim to write things that uplift people and that maybe guide them to a place where they can help themselves or help others um, because words are so powerful and we use, we use language as a tool to communicate, to bring each other up. Some people use it to bring you down and, and there's a lot of that. Um, and we, you know, we're coming out of a unprecedented year last year um, globally, we all kind of shared this, 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 this isolation thing. And 
you know, it was um, my aim was to, you know, pass along the things that I've learned, you know, things that I've experienced that I know could, could help someone else. And when I wrote it, I just I just thought to myself, man, like, I think a lot of people need to hear this or need to be reminded of this. Because a lot of us, we know that we should care about ourselves, you know. Um, it, we have the instinct to want to survive. We have the instinct to want to be successful, uh, you know, most of us, right? So, uh, and this is generally, generally speaking, but... Um, but sometimes, you know, we're human. We 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 fall under the cracks and whatnot. And um, and uh, you know, last year was a difficult year for a lot of people. Mm. So I was like, you know, um, I I always aim to write uh, these kinds of poems that hopefully will bring some light to people in their darkness. You know, and um, and the whole idea that line is, I think that's one of like. I think that's like one of the lines I'm most proud of in all of the poems I've ever written. Mm. It is like, it, it just anywhere in the world. I mean, I performed it from Australia to Dubai to here in Mexico. Uh, anywhere I perform that piece and I get to that line where I say, your first marriage should be with yourself. It's, it's just, you just hear the room go, damn, he's right. You yes. know? It's like, damn, like, I knew that, but like, I never really wanted to own the reality of that, you know? And I think when I did it at Habitas the night that we met, um, you could you could hear a collective like, whoa, yes. in the room. There's a quiet whisper, right? It was like, whoosh, Yeah, right? so to set the setting, just for people listening, we were in, it wasn't even, I wouldn't even call it like a concert. It was more like a, a ritual, it felt. Yeah, uh, it was a gathering, having, right? It was a gathering, and... Everyone was in a circle, but it was a sonic and visual experience. And so the context is when Ovius came in and he shared his words, uh, there was this, there was underlying music and there was, a, you know, there was a number of people, but you could hear a pin drop. It was like, it, 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 it called the attention. Mm -hmm. And what it made me think about actually was this notion of, as you just said, the power of words. And our words, in a way, cast spells. Mm -hmm. And those spells become our reality. And it was interesting, because I was having a conversation last night about uh, this notion of um, the power of music to heal, which obviously you, uh, as a musician, are deeply aware of. But also, the notion of our words and the carriers of words being, in a way, like, and I hesitate to use this, but like in a way, like a, like a, like a curandero will use so song, right? They'll they'll mm -hmm. carry their message with their song. And to me, when I when I think now about words, I think both thoughts and words, in a way, can like you said, in a way, be either medicine or poison. And what words are we sharing? What's what's our music, mm -hmm. such that it elevates? And my experience, just to to bring it back, my experience was that you were setting a context like when i lived in sri lanka and this is this is where it's interesting right this goes to the power of word there's no word for privacy and there's no word for possession so if you uh -huh. my man obvious is are like in a bad way right like which we're seeing now with the pandemic the consequence in mental health if you're in a bad way the entire village the entire community would put you in the middle of a circle and they would from sunrise 
uh, sunset to sunrise ritually recreate their shared worldview with, and I want you to talk about this in a little bit, but like using masks and this elaborate mask drama, flowers, all these things as an offering where that person felt seen and loved. Yeah. Because if you're out of balance, I'm out of balance. And that's what we're seeing in this pandemic, how interdependent we all are, right? Mm -hmm. how, how much we are connected. And yet, the macrocosm is the microcosm. And so to bring it full circle, I feel like when we are doing deep work on ourselves, when we are committed to that process of self-love, there is also healing that is available in the energetic for the others around us because we change, in a way, our frequency. Yeah. And I, I love that you, for me, and this is my interpretation, um, are a frequency riser. You know, like your oh. words are level set the room. Like that's my experience. That's what I felt when yeah. you were sharing. Yeah, it was a powerful moment. I mean, you know, um, I, I hadn't I hadn't performed in front of a live audience like that in about fourteen months. Wow. I mean, that's like, that's like you know, that's like cutting off Picasso's arm or so breaking his elbow or something, <laughs> you know, his, or his hand for for, and telling him he can't paint for a few months, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, and I, and I don't say that to say that I'm a Picasso, but I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm an artist and I want to paint with my words, you know, and yep. I haven't had a canvas all year, you know, if I'm keeping, if I'm going down that lane with this metaphor, but like, you know, it, it, uh, it was, it was, it was uh, really special to, to experience that frequency that we all shared collectively that night, you yes. know, when, when, from the moment I started to speak. Um, and it was just beautiful, and everybody's been showing love. Like, I, I run into people in the streets who at the little taco stands and stuff, and they're like, oh, yo, I saw you, you did that. Well, thank you for those words or, or this particular line. And, you know, that's, you know, a, a, a true artist is like, that's what you aim, you should be aiming for, you know. If you're a true artist, like, you aim for that. You aim for for um, creating work that, that, that changes the frequency of people, you know, yes. that lifts them up. You know, which is why I call my music hyper soul yeah. or hyper soul, hyper ancestral. This is the music that I make. I want to lift people up. I want to take them out of their their normal frequency, yeah. you know, and and elevate them so that they can do better in whatever they're doing, you know. Um, so yeah, man. If like I could just help even just a little bit, that means the world to me, man. Because you know, and 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 you know, we I already told you about my brother and how how I became an artist. You know. Yeah, you care, do you care to share that? I know it's yeah, yeah. Let's talk about you, it so because. Yeah, you know, it's important. It's all tied to mental health. So, you know, uh, for anybody discovering me as an artist, um, so uh, I, uh, in 2002, my younger brother was, um, my younger brother had a really rough life, man. Like, he was basically, you know, from, like, house to house, um, had trouble, like, living with, my parents were separated from a very young age. Uh, from when, from when we were very young, and so my brother lived with my mom, and then he lived with my dad, and then he lived with me, and you know, and um, then he lived with one of my aunts, and then he lived on his own, and it was always like he felt like he was kind of getting bounced around. Now this is his teenage years. Mm. I'm already in college. I'm having the time of my life. I'm living a life where, in the early '90s, I'm going to you know, uh, I'm going to um, Club Vinyl in New York, Red Zone. I'm going to the Loft in Boston, like. You know, I'm, I'm like out here b-boying and dancing to house music and battling and having the time of my life and just, you know, um, um, 
having fun with girls and all that. You know, I'm being just crazy. And uh, my brother was just trying to see where he fit in. And uh, But he was too young to be bouncing around like that. So now you take a kid who's, like, going through that at, like, the age of, like, 15. Um, fast forward to when he's 23 years old. Um, my brother had an incident where someone went to sexually harass him, and he took a pair of scissors and stabbed the dude in the head. The dude survived, so my brother only got seven months in Rikers Island. Now, you know what happens to somebody who goes to Rikers Island with mental illness? My brother was already diagnosed bipolar, you know, and he already had these um, symptoms of being mentally, like, depressed. He had depression, right? So he goes to Rikers for seven months. He comes out of there. He was not the same, man. He was not the same. And he comes out. Of course, I try to help him out because I'm doing well. You know, I'm, I'm at this time, I wasn't thinking about being an artist anymore. I was playing piano and guitar when I was a little kid. I was like a little kid. I was like nine years old when I was learning piano and guitar, and that's how I learned the language of music. Fast forward, you know, I finished college. I'm a designer in the fashion industry. I got a, I got a great job. I'm making money. You know, I'm living in New York in a nice pad. I'm trying to help my brother out get back on his feet. And he tells me on his birthday, this was September of 2002, uh, September 12th, um, he tells me on his birthday, yo, I, I tried to jump. I, I, you know, I almost jumped from a building, and I got scared. My mother was in Switzerland at the time. Um, and uh, my mother was like a manager, uh, a general manager of a big jewelry boutique, high-end boutique brand or whatever. And I called. I said, Ma, you, you, you got to come down here. You know, Carlos is not well. And I told my dad, and my dad was like, oh, he's a man. He'll man up. My dad didn't understand mental health was or is. A lot of people don't. They don't think it's a real thing. Like, oh, you're just having a bad day. And it's like, no, your whole life is a bad day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So so, um, so my mom tried to help put him in a mental institution. Um, shit, I'm giving you more of a story than that from my adventure. I'm giving you the real shit. My mom put him in an institution. My brother was smart. He spoke to the doctor in a way that he could get out. This was September, right? September 12th. On October 6th, like two, three weeks later, my brother went to the 225th Street Bridge connecting Manhattan to the Bronx. He jumped off that bridge. Three days later, they found his body. A day later, I had to go to his, um, or actually the day, that, the day that they called us, so like six, seven, on the 8th of October of 2002, I went to his apartment. I took, you know, I went to clean up all my brother's stuff and I found what I call the Zinc Bibles. My brother's name was Zinc Blue, one of his artist aliases, right? So I found his book of rhymes, and it was like he transformed me. Mm. I was sitting all alone in his apartment, all his stuff in bags and boxes. I'm all alone in there, because my parents, they, they were a mess, right? So I'm looking in this book, and I walked out of my brother's apartment, and it was just, I wasn't the same. That's the only way I can explain it. I, I, um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that this supernatural energies exist or whatever, but I'm telling you, as the universe has my witness, I'm telling you, man, I was not the same person. When I opened that book and I read some of his rhymes and I walked out of there and I was like, I have to do this for him. I have to take over. And finish, it's like he passed me the baton with that book, with those rhyme books when I found them. And they weren't easy to find. They were in the top 
back of the closet. Like I had to look, put my hand in the, like the closet was deep, the top shelf. And I put my hand up there and I'm like, oh, what's this? I could have easily not found the book, mm-hmm. but I did. I found all three of those books and I pulled them out and I sat there for an hour reading them. And I was, I just took them with me. I still have them to this day. And I was just not the same. A month later in November of 2002, a month later, I went to the New Yorican Poets Cafe, the legendary New Yorican Poets Cafe in the Lower East Side of New York. I recited my first poem off a piece of paper. My hands were shaking. I was nervous. I thought I was going to be super whack. And on my very first attempt at an open mic, I got a standing ovation. Wow. My first time, man. And it was electrifying. Yeah. I've never, fe- to this day, I've never felt anything, an electricity run through my body in that way, man. Wow. And I knew at that moment that that was going to be the trajectory and the pathway to my new life. Mm. Um, because I was in a very strange mood, like processing my brother's death, I was showing up to my uh, office job, to the design job that I had in the fashion world. I was showing up to my job at like 10.30 in the morning when I was supposed to be there at 9 a.m. Eventually, the vice president called me to the office and was like, man, we love you, but people are complaining that you're getting special treatment. They let me go. I walked down 35th Street, the same street where I last saw my brother at the train station. And I look back and I see in the the sunrise, like uh, the sunset, right? And I was like, my life's about to change. You know, and that's why I always tell people, utilize your time wisely. Yeah. Put aside time for your friends and family. If you were to ask me what time it is, I would tell you it's time for a new life. I remember seeing my brother, and I gave him $20 in a Metro card, and I was like, yo, see you on Saturday so I could buy you a pair of Nikes for your birthday. But Saturday never came. Yeah. And so it quickly became the worst day because on that day, he was no longer part of our system of time. My brother now resides in a place where time zones are infinite. So I keep telling people, utilize your time wisely. Put aside time for your friends and family. If you were to ask me what time it is, I would tell you your time is, it's time for a new life. Maybe time for a new poem, time for a new podcast. People, it's time to get moving. Time to set foot in a new land. But maybe instead you're probably thinking that it's time for me and Michael to shut up. (laughs) No, not that time yet. Better yet, if you're listening, it's time for you to keep listening. People, it's time to get moving. Time for my heart to hit 120 BPMs. Time for confusion, time for crying, time for passion, a new generation, time for love. Time for the God above to take away my life naturally, the way time and fate had it meant for me. Eventually, we will need to stop wasting time, killing time, when my forefathers would kill to be part of our time. That's why I respect my very existence at this moment in time. So if you were to ask me what time it is, I would tell you, hey, call that person that you had that grudge with that you know you just need to dead that crazy whack energy with. I would tell you, call that person that you truly love and care about that you needed to apologize to. I would tell you it's time for you to be kind to someone. I would tell you that it's time for you to be brave. I would tell you it's time for you to open your heart. If you were to ask me what time it is, I would tell you your time to rise and shine is now. Mm. That's beautiful, man. Real talk right there. Real talk. First of all, I want to acknowledge you for your vulnerability. And I want to honor your brother. Thank you, man. Um, when you shared that story with me the first time we talked about, it was interesting because we were sharing it with another person. And uh, there, was an, there were three of us. And what it was evoked for me was this notion of the torch. 
uh, you used the word baton, but the torch. The torch. You know, the visual I had was like, you know, it's like fire has been around since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's one of our greatest teachers. It's allowed humanity to evolve in the way that it has. And, you know, I've been to the funeral pyres, for example, in the Himalayas. And, wow. And seeing <clears throat> when someone is laid to rest in the Ganges, you know, and is set afire. And I have a very special relationship with fire, actually. My, I did, I've done some very uh, beautiful uh, work with the Wiwadika, and my fire name is actually Yosali, which, is also, which also means fire or light mm. and meteor. And when you were talking to me and having just experienced your light, what, occur- what it occurred to me as was, in a way, your brother's words ignited the torch that was always in you and that the... And again, this is my interpretation that we shared that night, but that his spirit lives through you. Yeah. And, and whether that resonates or not, I don't know. I don't want to be presumptuous, but I can say, having lost my father this year, who was my dear, like, soul companion, I also feel that he passed the torch to me. And like your poem says, what I realized as I was with him, you know, and I, I did have the, the grace to be with him when he made his transition, was that it really, really encouraged me on the value of time, exactly mm-hmm. as you articulate, you know, because I was sitting there holding the hand of my best friend, and I just thought, man, you know, maybe if I'm lucky, I've got another maybe 40, 50 years, who knows, mm-hmm. if I, if, you know, in God's grace, but man, what am I going to do with that? You know, because that's our most valuable resource on the planet. You know, like we're sold a narrative of accumulating material possessions as a marker of wealth. But to me, true wealth is the ability to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, Mm -hmm. in good health and good company. And to have the time, time is the ultimate currency because it's the ultimate finite resource that we that we all share, and that and that runs out, you know. Yeah. So t- today, we're less wealthy than yesterday in terms of time. Yeah. So it's like, how are we going to spend it? And I feel like whatever that catalyst is for people listening, that reminder of, you know, sharing your song, your gift, and whatever catalyst it is that brings you there, find it, right? Like, whatever that, you know, the notebook for you, my father's hand for me, you know, I feel like those, 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 those are gifts in a way, right? It's the, it's the, any, any profound challenge I feel like is compost. I, I studied with a Mayan healer uh, and he said to me that pain is the horse that beauty rides. And that when we experience, for lack of a better term, shit in life, if, we, if we're in a good way, we can use it as spiritual compost for new growth, for new beginnings. And f- what I want to acknowledge is it's beautiful that you took a very challenging situation in a way honor your brother's legacy in the work that you do in the world. And now that torch is being passed to all the people that get to listen to those yeah. words, you know. And this podcast as well, man, to be honest, it's part of my song. And I sat on this. I think I shared with you, you know, when I launched Global Citizen, I had a huge ego conversation. Like, no, I started recording eight years ago. I didn't launch for five years. Because I was like, yo, you can't go from like hosting Jay-Z and Beyonce on stage in Central Park with 70,000 people to some dude in his living room or hotel room. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like that's a career, you know, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, da- it's going down. 
And then I saw, tri I, I went to a Fleetwood Mac show and they did a tribute to Tom Petty and Tom Petty was one of my favorite artists. And he had passed away and I watched that tribute and I was like, that's a man singing his song. You know, that's a man who lived his song. He yeah. put it out in the world. And I was like, tomorrow, I don't care if two people show up. Thank God, way, way more than two showed up. But yeah. if two people show up, it doesn't matter. I got to sing my song. And that yeah. was the catalyst for me of like with the show. And it's led like this, you know, like it's led to relationships beyond my reckoning, opportunities, possibilities. I imagine the same for you. You know, you went from that cafe in New York where you got the standing ovation and now you're performing all around the world and, the, and you make your living off of your words, you mm -hmm. know. So that's beautiful. So what, what have you found in your travels? Like as you started to embody your words and share the, that, that light that was passed to you by your brother, as you started to share that in the world, what did you notice about how your expression impacted others? Like the, the exchange, if you will, between your words how they took life in new torches, and then how is that fueling your fire today? Man, it, um, well, I want to answer the fueling the fire part first because um, it's kind of crazy that I started doing this in 2002, so I'm creeping up on 19 years now. Mm -hmm. This October, it'll be 19, right? So it's been like 18 years and some change, two decades. And I still enjoy it. I still enjoy it. The fire, you know, I think when you're saying about the torch, it's it's like a torch that just won't go away until until probably my last dying breath. I mean, I mean, how lucky am I? Let me acknowledge and my gratitude for how lucky and blessed I am to have found my purpose in life. There are so many people who are still searching for that. And... Um, and, 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 you know, not, not only to find my purpose, but, so, like, it's something that I enjoy. Um, and, and knowing that, like, I can even help somebody just a little bit, it means everything to me. So I think that all that is tied to, to, to how the fire keeps going. Um, the beautiful thing about traveling around the world and sharing, you know, these words is uh, it's just seeing how, just how we're all one tribe. At the end of the day, man, like, you know, we we um, we so easily can let uh, politics and um, and history divide us, but I'm confident that um, we, as a, as a human species, as a human race, uh, because I don't believe in the idea of um, that there's different races. I, I don't believe there's a black race and a white race and an Asian. Like it, that, that's not factually correct. You talk to any any scientist, they're going to be like, well, there's a human species and there's four blood types or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's really the only thing that separates us: height, skin color. You know, you you never heard somebody say, oh yeah, uh, they're from the race of the short people, you know, or this right. is the race of the tall people, right? You know, like that would be ridiculous, or like, yeah. So, so you know, the fact that we do that by skin color is just really juvenile. So, um, yeah. So you're welcome for that lesson. If you're, in this, <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Like I, I just, I just enlightened you. Yeah, we're one human race, one species. Real talk. For real. And so, um, and, and I know, and you know, it's not more, it is clearly so evident when I perform in London and I'm talking all my New Yominican shit and people are like, yo, I fucks with that. That's crazy. Or I go to 
whatever, Dubai, or I go to, um, like I was saying, Australia, or back to New York, or where, it doesn't matter, wherever I've been, you know, um, it's, it's the same thing. People are connected by these basic principles. You know, we want to be loved. We love the feeling of sharing love. We love, um, you know, all the little things, man, like having the spotlight in whatever way that is, whether it's at a birthday party and everybody's singing happy birthday to you. Who doesn't fucking like that shit? Right. And if you don't like that shit, then you're unique and special. That's cool, too. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But we're, we, we have more similarities than differences. And um, and even the fact that we have diff like differences, it just shows that that's part of what makes us equal. You know, I have a line in the poem where I say something like that. I, I said, um, "What makes us different is also what makes us equal." Mm. You know, so um, so I've I've learned that we're really just one tribe. It doesn't matter where I go. Um, yeah, I would say even even to take it a little bit further, mm. that the dif the difference. In, even in those small ways amidst the tribe, right, is actually what leads to the strength of the tribe. Um, the difference in perspectives, the difference in come froms, the cu like cultural diversity, for example, stronger in diversity. Plants, for example, right? Permaculture, stronger in diversity, right? Corns, beans, and squash, ancient technology. Mm -hmm. The waste of one led to the fuel for another, and they all grow in interrelationships, symbiotic mm -hmm. relationship. And actually, when you find monocultures, you see the depletion of the ecosystem. You know, whenever you have too much of just one thing, it dilutes the potency of that place, like the soil, right? The soil is like our microbiome. Our health is totally connected to the soil. Soil is made healthy, is made vibrant through diversity. And but, the, but that diversity is still encompassed in the oneness, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of words out there, a lot of narratives that are being spun, which is to kind of bring it full circle, spun to try to perpetuate this false narrative of difference in, in a way that separates. And there is, in my view, the beauty and harmony of words when spun to show our similarity to unite and and strengthen the tribe, right? Like that's mm. been that's been used since the dawning of humanity, you know? Yeah. Humans would get together around a fire and when different tribes, which is ultimately saying still set part of the same human tribe, mm -hmm. would get together, you know, um, you know, if they shared counsel, you know, they would share story, they would share food, they would share song, they would share dance, you know? Yeah. And to me that's there's an alchemy in that that shows us our our relationship to each other, you know, our mm -hmm. relationship and our dependence on each other, you mm -hmm. know. And I feel like, uh, yeah, man, when we were talking the last time, you know, it was cool because you were like, what did you say? You said, you said, oh, man, you're my motherfucker, you know. And yeah, I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. and you were like, and you turned to me and I was like, I was because I was just listening. And you were like, yeah, and what well, you explain what it means, because I don't want. Yeah, to it's basically run. like you know, like if um, if you you know, so I, I'm, I'm I basically represent Washington Heights, you know, uptown New York, and um, that's 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 the neighborhood where I grew up, and you know, it was it was crazy over there in the '80s, you know, as a, as a little kid witnessing like the cocaine era over there was wild, and um. I just remember, like, from an early age in my teens, like, if somebody was like, yo, you my motherfucker, or somebody was like, yo, you my nigga, son, like, you know, somebody was like, you my bro, like, for real, 
that means they had your back, you know? Yeah. Like, like, and I was telling you, like, if you ever came to Washington Heights with me, and I just, like, you know, and I, and I walked into a, a bar or something, and everybody was looking at you funny, I'd be like, oh, that's my motherfucker, that's my dude. And everybody would be like, ah, he's with him, he's good, he's one of ours. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, there's just, it's just, there's a brotherhood, you know, with, uh, and there's, like, a trust there when, um, like, a, like, a, it's like a cultural thing, you know? Yeah. It's just like, um, like, who... Who who just who's here? Who's entering this tribe? Like we we have a foreigner here, but is a good is he a good person? Yeah, you know it's kind of like that thing. So, but yeah, I mean, because we were talking about '90s hip hop and um, let's we, go there for a minute, actually. Oh because man, we gotta do I've that. I've never done this on a podcast, what? but let do, me tell you, for those listening, uh, so I grew up in Chicago in the city, and was fortunate enough. So I grew up in a magnet school, so we had kids from all over all over Chicago. Mm -hmm. I mean, every race, ethnicity, all one tribe, but I mean, every walk of life. And I grew up similar to you with 90s era hip hop. And that's like, you know, there's a movie, I wanna just give quick context into this because the, the music that we grow up with has, is such medicine for us. Mm -hmm. and, and not only am, I don't mean that it just like, I'm just talking, you know, like, you know, oh, metaphorically no like actually you watch a movie alive inside which i think won sundance a few years back and was deeply personal to me because my father had dementia and they go to this nursing home it's one of the most beautiful scenes i've ever seen in my life in a film there's this beautiful uh beautiful beautiful black man that is nonverbal, despondent you know and unfortunately like too many of our elders has been sort of left in an institution and, and you could tell his quality of life is not high you know he's He's in a way, he's in a way kind of being left to sort of meet his end. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a human that, that sees the value and virtue in him and finds out what his favorite music was from when he was a child and creates a playlist of his favorite music. Wow. And in this scene, they put the headphones on this man's ears. Now, keep in mind, he's, for those who aren't watching this visually, you know, he's slumped over. He hasn't spoken for, I don't know how long, but he's basically nonverbal. And they put the music on his ears, and I kid you not, he lifts his head up, his eyes open. I remember 1930, starts talking, yeah. referencing the music, starts singing the notes. No pill on this planet can replicate what his favorite songs did it turned his brain back on mm -hmm. and created the joy that had been dormant within him. And seeing that man's face, you could not, you could, you could feel the torch pass, you know, Dude. of like, it was like next level. I so. know exactly the movie you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. remember that scene. Yeah, right? There's a, there's a studies have been done where uh, music um, activates certain parts of the brain yep. and then just, it just gets, it fires all these, like it fires up your brain in a way that like pills can't and yes. other things can't. So yeah, that was amazing to watch that scene. That's that's incredible. Yes. That was like, wow, that was powerful. Yeah. So so give me I'm gonna go I'm gonna cause usually I ask for people's favorite books. But uh, let's go, let's go. Okay. And and by the way, this isn't like I'm gonna hold it to you, but this yeah. is more like stream of consciousness. I give me, got, give me, I give me three list. to five. Give me three to five. <laughs> And I've got my own. I've got my own. I got a few. But I'm going to let you go first, please, as my guest. Okay. Give me five of the greatest truth speakers 
from 90s era hip-hop that most resonated with you? From 90s, okay. So. Uh, well, let's broaden a little bit. We'll go 90s and 2000 era. Okay, or, okay. Or you, we can even go late 80s if you want. Okay, because I was going to say, like, Rakim all right, all right. is like, you know, late 80s for me. Um, LL Cool J was like a big impact, but there's so many. Okay, 103,000, Q-Tip, Q-Tip for sure. Q-Tip yes. was like the first MC that made me fall in love with hip-hop. Then I would say Ishmael from Diggable Planets. Um, I just thought he was so creative. I mean, he was talking about being an alien from another planet yes. and that he landed on Earth like with these jazzy beats and shit like that. It was so dope. Um, then, you, of course, you got Chuck D, Public Enemy. Yes. Um, I mean, there's so many I saw many Public poets. Enemy, by the way. Oh, Live, crazy. in concert. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Man, One guy. of the best shows I've seen. That guy, man, that guy's just, he's a prophet for sure. That's a, that's a, that's a poet. Um, and Nas, Nas, man. Yes. Nas, I remember listening to Nas for the first time in high school, and I was just like, I was like, damn, like, oh, man, he was, he was so dope. This, this, the, the, the street prophet, the street poet. Yes. Um, so that's, those are some of mine. Okay. I know I, I said a few, but I, okay. I can keep going. No, so no, no, stop. I know you can. I'm going to stop. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a little something on there. All so right. for me, whew, man. Okay, so Tribe Called Quest unequivocally. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my, that's my, that just makes me feel. It just makes me feel yeah. all the feels. Now, now I forgot a group. I actually, De La Soul. There you go. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank you. De La Soul. De La Soul. I would also say Lauren Hill, the yeah. Fugees. Yeah. Man. Yeah. The Fugees. I remember living in Sri Lanka in Colombo during the Civil War. Wow. And being in the YMCA hostel as a 19-year-old. And, and, and let's just say things were hot outside. And I just would put on the Fugees, and it was just like, whew, yeah. just brought me to where I needed to be. Um, I will say also, and I had the pleasure of meeting in Puerto Rico, Dead Prez. Oh, Dead yeah. Prez. Yeah, yeah, I've hung out with them. They're, they're, they're super dope. Super. And they brought, like, an early stage, like, you know, like, talking about healthy food, like, but in a way that was, like, almost like, they, like, blended that, like, you know, the strength in a way like that, like strong masculine, mm -hmm. but also bringing a message that wasn't, that wasn't conventional, I feel yeah. like for the time. Um, and I'll also say, I mean, this, these are classics, but Run DMC and Beastie Boys, yeah. I feel like uh, for me, but, but probably also my top, especially when I was living in New York, the mighty, mighty most deaf. Yeah, and t when he was with uh, in Black Star with Talib Kweli, like mm -hmm. seeing those guys perform, which I had the chance to do. So r the Roots, I don't know if you ever went, but the Roots would throw a holiday party. I was gonna, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna throw my. I was like, man, I cannot forget Black Thought. Black yes. Thought, one of my all-time, probably top five of all time yes. greatest MCs. I mean, the list can go on and on. Ghostface Killer. I mean. There's so many great lyricists that we've yes. had through the 90s. Like, yeah, man. I, like, Can It Be So Simple by, by, by um, Raekwon and, um, and Ghostface is still one of my favorite songs, man. Like, I just can't get sick of that song. Yeah. It's just the way RZA sampled that, 
you know, the way he sampled and, oh, man, it, that, that joint is crazy. That joint. That and Verbal Intercourse, which it was him, it was Raekwon, Ghostface, and Nas. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of Verbal Intercourse? Yes. That joint is crazy. I mean, uh, when Nas said, from the womb to the tomb, presumed the, uh, presumed the unpredictable. Like, when he said that, like, that was like, whoa, like, pff, that's crazy. That's timeless. That's timeless. That's it. Yeah. I feel like a good, for me... And not in the same way, but I think I, I told you about this. Also, I lived in Oakland, California for about five years. And there's a crew there called the Quantum Crew. Shout out to Oakland. Yes, Oaktown. So basically, you had Black Alicious, Lyrics Ooh. Born. Lyrics mm. Born was amazing. But Latif, the true speaker, and then there was this Zion I. And it was, you know, it was, it was, they, they, they had some, some definitely some national, international hits, but it was definitely a local flavor. But mm-hmm. I would tell you what, some of those shows, like when Gift of Gab does alphabet aerobics, so he goes, Ooh. and you know this, but for those listening, he literally goes through the alphabet on tempo and raps only letters from that, that particular part of the alphabet and then gets faster and faster and faster on his way to Z. That right there is just like savant. You're just like, man, this man yeah. is on another level. Verbal acrobatics, man. <laughs> exactly. Yo, um, I, I, man, I, I just feel like we got to shout out everybody. So now you're talking about the Bay Area, and it's like I cannot, I have to say this on the record, man. Souls of Mischief. Okay. Huge influence. They were like almost like the West Coast Tribe Called Quest. It was like they balanced you know, they, they balanced each other out. Like uh, Black Moon was another group, too. Black Moon from the East Coast, like, these groups from the 90s were just... Far they, side as well. Far side, exactly, right? So f- you got Far Side, Souls of Mischief, Tribe, De La Soul. They they were sort of, like, parallel to each other in a lot yeah. of ways, creatively. Yeah. They didn't. They all had their own style, all of them, but, um, but that was the beauty of it is that, like, they shared this really common thing where they were just brilliant in their own way. Yeah. You know, and... Um, we're still singing their songs to this day. She keeps on passing me by. That's yep. my joy. Yeah, man, those things, those songs are timeless, man. I'll tell you what, one of the best shows I've ever seen, and I've seen some shows, Outcast. I've seen them once, too. Oh, man. That Crazy. is just the level of just like, ooh, hype. I'm just like the dance. You just like, ooh, you yeah. just like, I mean, I would just. It was it was it was incredible, man. Yeah. The elevation, the way that they would just elevate, and everyone was feeling. There was no one not dancing. Like yeah. you know, it was like, it was next level. Yeah, yeah. Those are, if if anybody if there's any young rappers or anybody who's a spoken word artist listening to this, because you just happen to come across my name on this shit, please study like study. Andre 3000 yes. and his stage presence, his the way he works the stage. Study him, study Jay-Z, study all these great people that command an audience. Like, you know, I, I think I think that helps me out a lot too. Knowing how to hold space on a stage, you know. It's it's huge, man. I've yeah. seen because having created a music festival, I've been on some stages. I'll tell you what, another person I want to shout out, obviously uh, more of all of this current generation, but Frank Ocean, I think I may have shared this. You told me, you, yeah, man. I was gonna say this you, was yeah. crazy, yo. So he, we had it. It was a stage. It was like probably 150 feet wide, and there was a runway. You know, like Beyonce, like at Coachella, man. I mean, art in motion. But she owned the whole stage. Frank Ocean intentionally, intentionally 
only use the last 10 feet of the runway and Minimalist. set it up like it was his living room. And he played the piano on the end of the stage. So it was intentionally not theatrical in any way. And the way that it cultivated an intimacy, like you felt literally like you were in his living room, I never seen anything like it. And I turned to, mm-hmm. I was actually watching it with Paul Tallette and Bill Fold, the founders of Coachella. And and Bill, who like, by the way, grew up like, you know, throwing punk shows, you know, and he obviously they have incredible music taste, but like, you know, he looked at me, he was like, man, this guy's on another level, you know, and I was like, yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. The, 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 the simplicity, like the minimalism, that's, 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 yeah, yeah. that's dope. Going where, that's going dope. where other people aren't and show them even before they knew it where they want to be. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you have, like, 40,000 people out there, whatever the number is, and then, like, you make it feel intimate because, like, on the big Jumbotron screens or whatever, you're seeing him just, right, with the spotlight and the piano. That's dope, man. That's crazy. That's really dope. What have you learned about – what have you learned about evoking? So we're talking about holding space. If there's any insights you've had from that context of on stage holding the space and or – evoking, like using your words to truly bring people into a shared resonance. Have you learned any techniques or insights that you can share for those who are looking and maybe they're maybe they're spoken word artists, maybe they're speakers, maybe mm-hmm. they're musicians, performers. Any insights that you've garnered? Because I think it's also even a little tougher. It definitely helps. Like if you're if you're going out there and you've got a band backing you, you also have the support of that energy. You have right. the support of those people who are also helping to cultivate the space. But you go out solo. Like that's why I respect yeah. for stand up comics. Man, you gotta you if you don't if you're not working as a stand up comic, you are man, you gotta you gotta mm-hmm. go through your set in pain, you know? Yeah. So so what have you learned about that uh, that process of holding space and evoking as an artist? Well, um, I don't know if we we because uh, I know that we're we're um, our friendship is, uh, is 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 a new friendship, um, but um, uh, so I I've uh, I've recorded an album with my brother Q Violin. He goes by four letters Q V L N, and we did a collaboration album together called Here Are My Remains, and we toured with that band all through South America in 2015. We, um, and uh, so uh, we released a single called Bones. Um, if you guys are listening to this, you might want to check that video out. Maybe take some mushrooms and watch the video. It's, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's fun. Uh, but nah, um, so uh, I, I've, perf- I've had the, the pleasure of performing with a band, a full band, you know what I'm saying? Um, percussion, keys, drums, violin, uh, vocals, right? Um, so I've had that experience. But I've also had the experience of it just being me and a microphone, even if I'm DJing, right? So when I do my DJ gigs, um, if I'm doing a DJ set, it's me, this, you know, the two turntables, the CDJs, and, and the microphone. Or I'm doing the stand-up thing, the stand-up poetry. I like to call it stand-up poetry because that's exactly who I studied um, as well when it came to just being me and a mic. Um, comedians are masters of the stage. I mean, they're just talking for an hour, hour and a half or whatever, right? An hour special. So, uh, and one of my one of my heroes is is George Carlin. Mm-hmm. George Carlin is um, he he has inspired me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this poem, uh, not a poem, but kind of like a monologue. It is, it is a poem. It's a monologue and a poem. It's called Modern Man. Have you ever seen this thing? No, I have not. 
Yo, whoever's listening to this, pause this, go watch Modern Man, don't get distracted, come back to the podcast, and then, yeah, then you know what the hell we're talking about. But he uh, he has this opening to one of his shows, one of his uh, specials, and it's called Modern Man, and it's incredible. He talks about, like, where we're going as a species with technology, and it inspired the hell out of me. So I wrote a poem called The I Poem, because we're always on our iPhones, and um, and uh, actually, I did it on the Arsenio Hall show. Shout out yeah. to Arsenio Hall for putting Arsenio. me on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was when he had come back uh, uh, when he rebooted the show, and he had he started having poets on the show, and um, it was a lot of fun to to perform that piece. But that was inspired by George Carlin. People ask me all the time, "Where did you learn? Like, wh- how did you come up with this thing?" And I'm like, George Carlin, wow. modern man. It was I, I was inspired by that. And when you watch it, you could you could see like, oh, okay, yeah, like, like I did my own things completely different, but, but still, it's like, you know, you got to study the greats, and George Carlin was one of the greats on stage, man. Without question. Without question. So, it's it's all about like, um, the way the nuances too. So, you know, like I can say, you know, hello, or I can be like. Hello. Yes. You know, it's a whole different tone, hello. inflection, yeah. body language. Yeah. You know, so I could be like, you know, this is one of those things, and you just you uh, you learn to twist and bend words. You know, I've learned to do that, and uh, like I said, you know, I've been doing this for two decades, so I'm still learning. I'm actually look right now. I'm part of a program called American Music Abroad, or Ameri- and also it's called American Voices Abroad, um, and. Uh, they they made me into a cultural ambassador of the U.S. Uh, Louis Armstrong was one of the first people to join this program. Um, the list goes on and on, but uh, you guys get the idea. And basically, the uh, the government approaches artists like myself, and they're like, "Would you like to like from right now, while I'm here in Tulum, uh, I'm teaching kids in Pakistan via video conference calls how to write and perform." So I'm doing a whole eight-week workshop series with these kids in Pakistan, and I just had my first workshop this Beautiful. Tuesday, and it was amazing. Like right off the gate, it was like the poems that came out. There was this one girl who wrote um, uh, a poem about how war has affected um, her day-to-day life, mm. you know, um, and it was so powerful. Everybody on the call was like. We was just like, mic drop, you know? Except there was no mic, so. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, so. Um, I resonate with that, it's actually. It's powerful, man. What, what, what you're sharing, because it, it just brought back a visual memory, which I haven't had in a while, actually. Um, which is, I actually taught creative communications at UC Berkeley uh, when I was living in Oakland. And it was with all, it was, so it was with Alvin Ailey, uh, which is my favorite dance company, actually. Yeah. Um, and so these kids would get taught dance, and then I would teach them creative communication. And so we did like spoken word. We do. Yeah. We would do. We would do sort of uh, collective and individual pieces because part of it was about how to get them to see themselves as a community in a in a community. I mean, for those who don't know, the bottoms of, of East Oakland are are no joke. Um, and these kids had like a street savvy that I very rarely experienced. Um, but some of the poems that they would write were of the most poignant and beautiful forms of pure expression, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, sure, it maybe didn't have the, like, you know, hadn't had any formal, but in a way, beauty, 
beautiful because it hadn't had the conditioning. And so they would just like give the rawness. And some of it was obviously super hard to hear, but I think we all recognize when someone's being real, like when someone's being authentic. And when you're being authentic about something like, it's, it's even hard to imagine, like I, I don't know, but having been in war-torn countries, you know, like someone talking about that experience or, mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, war-torn streets in many of our communities, it's, it's something that I think is another medicine because it shares other, other kids in that room had that shared experience. And maybe, you know, shame, they say, is, is, is you hold shame in your body because it hasn't seen the light. You know, you haven't opened the door. It's something that's secret or hidden. And when they open the door, that light comes in, and then people move out of shame into, into a new possibility. And I saw that transformation work with these kids in the dance as well, right? Because they would be moving, you know, and moving in the body and the way that that, you know, helps to release trauma. You know, a gazelle gets attacked by a lion in the wild. The way that they shake off that trauma, mm-hmm. the way it doesn't stay with them is that, you know, they move, you know, and it shakes. And then mm-hmm. they, if they're lucky enough to escape, they move on, you know. And they're grateful to, like, <laughs> exactly, I appreciate right. that. Savannah is like, oh man, colors are brighter. Everything, you know, because you, because you, uh, you like, had a near death experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I want to ask you about something that just sparked was sparked with your comment around new man, that I had an idea of before we've sat down, which is not something we've talked about explicitly, but I think I would be curious to get your insights on, mm-hmm. and that is the notion of masculinity the notion of some people call it mature masculinity some people call it divine the divine masculine it's really an energetic it doesn't necessarily have to be gender specific but you know it was interesting because you and I talked for example the night we met you know um, we were surrounded by uh, I think it's fair to say beautiful women but uh, neither of us chose to pursue that and it led me to a conversation with you around what you're seeking to call forward and how you're like really holding your energy mm-hmm. for and space for that profound possibility and in, in a way my own interpretation I won't put words in your mouth but not diluting in a way your energy so that you're holding space and s- there's a variety for me of, of topics around the masculine that I'm finding come up more and more often but when I sit with by the way, we're both imperfect. I'm not trying to exalt. But at the same time, to me, you occur to me as someone who's done work on himself and is an embodiment of a mature masculine. Um, for you, what does that mean? Is that something you relate to or not? I mean, totally cool if you're like, no, not really. Um, and, and if so, what are some of the insights you've garnered in your process of individuation to to kind of discern between a younger version of it. Another way to ask this question would be, if you were to advise your 20-year-old self or your 15-year-old self mm-hmm. uh, from this period of life, you know, what kind of thoughts would you offer? Well, no, it is interesting to me because um, I, uh, I, I do have these moments um, in my life where I have like these reflections, you know, I have like, I look at myself or I look at a situation and I'm like, man, what would 25-year-old me would have done, you know, um, in, in, in the same scenario? Um, I think one of the first words that comes to mind is um, impulsive. I think uh, when, I think young men, we can just be 
very impulsive, and that's hard to control. When you get older, because we're talking about mature masculine, when you get older, you have more of the power and the ability and almost like the emotional tool, um, like like the the um, almost like the mental capacity and uh, to to control your emotions mm-hmm. and to make better decisions. Um, but I think I think that's one of the things. It's like it's difficult when you have so much energy when you're younger to control the urges or the the uh, the impulse, mm-hmm. you know, to wanna you know make a move that you you kind of know you might regret or something. You know, um, I think uh, you know, and I I don't know if this relates to. to uh, I think you know what I think this does relate to the people because like look I I went through it a lot of people go through it and I think um what I've learned is is uh definitely to to just take my time to take my time not to not to be in such a rush uh with decision making you know um and and that's different for different scenarios you know but it's good to you know it's good to sometimes kind of just enjoy a moment and sort of like maybe even pull back, analyze the energy in a room, mm-hmm. you know, and not be so quick to and not be so impulsive to like react to something without having all the information maybe that will lead you to making the better decision, mm. you know? Yes. And sometimes we look, it's almost like if you walk into a room and there's like all these pieces of a puzzle scattered, but you don't really know how the pieces fit. So you can't make an informed decision, you know. Um, I think if you take your time and kind of piece some of the pieces and then you can see a better picture and then you're like, oh, okay, so this is what I'm dealing with. Yes. You know, and I think if we just take a little bit more time and we kind of, and I don't want to say this like, oh, don't suppress your emotions, don't suppress your impulse, acknowledge it, but also own it and be more in control of it. Yeah. You know, and... um. Don't let it own you. Don't let it own you. Be at, I like this distinction of being at cause versus being at effect. Yeah. Most of our, most, many of us, for much of our lives, we're at effect. And what I mean by that is we're at effect to someone else's agenda. So if you, if you, not you personally, obviously, but if you come at me in a way that's like, you know, it's like, okay, now I'm at effect to your energy, right? Whereas if you are at cause, you are the source of creation. Uh, what I'm what I'm hearing from you, which I really resonate with, is, I mean, it's it, to to kind of give it a, a bit of a story. I feel like I've I've been fortunate to sit in some circles with Native American elders, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things our culture and society has lost is a reverence for the elder. But what I notice in the way of being about these elders is that they don't prescribe. They don't say you should you should you should you know. They share a story, you know. Good morning, relatives. You know, mm-hmm. very tranquil. Puts it's like they're listening beyond the words. They're in what I call in the listening. They're listening to the room, to the body language, to the words beyond the words yeah. that are that the people are experiencing, and they share they share a truth, a story, oftentimes. And in that story, people can find their answers. But it's not telling anyone what to do. And I feel like the younger masculine oftentimes embodied 
for example, in a warrior is a little bit more like, and warrior, by the way, can look like many things. I don't mean just someone who goes to war. But there is a reason why oftentimes, you know, warriors are younger, uh, at least traditionally men, because there's that energy, right? And if, mm -hmm. that's, if that energy isn't cultivated in the right way, it can be very, very dangerous. If it's in service to something higher than the self, mm. which I think the elder learns, you know, and I think one learns with age, ideally. Yeah. And that's one thing, unfortunately, I think our culture desperately lacks, and, and, and it brings us a little bit back in the conversation, but we just don't have processes of individuation for young men, you know? Like, I was in South Africa and, and went into a hut with men who are covered in white at, at the age of adolescence, about to be circumcised through an individuation right that would lead them into manhood, where they would be declared men. And it was in the, the same tribal cult, uh, context as Nelson Mandela, actually, mm -hmm. um, in the, the southernmost part of Africa. And being invited into that space and feeling the energy of that space was like, well, one, I felt a little strange being there, but on the other hand, I felt so uh, blessed in a way to see like what it's like in a context where a boy is actually shepherded into manhood yeah. by other men in a way where they're supported. And unfortunately, so few, I feel like young men have that guidance, have that positive role model. You know, they say actually in research that the single best thing for a young person is actually having even just one positive mentor or role model mm -hmm. to help shepherd them through some of these challenging, impulsive-oriented decisions. And like you said, man, one bad decision, especially in this culture, which is rigged against uh, frankly, especially people of color and young men, um, it's like it, ha it can have life-changing consequence, you know? So, yeah, so that, that ability to, to and, and, and hopefully creating tribe and culture and community where young people can help be shepherded by those who are perhaps less impulsive and seasoned through experience into a way that is more aligned with a mature masculine, I think, I feel like that's, a medicine that is needed in the world today. And uh, I feel like it's something in your words that you're, at least in my reflection, that you are bringing, that you are suggesting. As an elder would in a story, where someone can find themselves in that story, mm -hmm. you, you present a space where people can see a considered orientation, a deliberate decision-making process, at least in my view, as opposed to um, what I think as men we often do, myself included, which is act impulsively or reactively. And, and instead of being reactive, being in, in essence proactive or yeah. at, at cause in our life um, through reflection, you know, and through obviously lived and embodied experience. So I, 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 I resonate with that. I want to ask as we, we're getting closer to, to the end, if you would maybe share one more piece. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, um, um, I uh, I guess I'll just say a little something about me, and um, and all the men of color out there who want to be recognized as as human beings. Um, people, people of color have been um you know they we, we we've had we've had it rough man we've had it rough and um and oftentimes uh, 
you know, we 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 uh, we forget that um, if we really truly treated each other as equals, um, the world would be so much easier to navigate. You know, so you know me. I'm I'm just a colored man from the motherland that painted both my hands with the ink of the Incas. I mean, I, I come from the kind of people that were making love to the ocean when they were trying to sink us. When they told us that Jesus could walk on the water when they failed to defeat us. Defeat us of our kind. Never hit rewind and wound up giving life to freedom. Life to heroes. Life to innovators. Life to kingdoms. Life to soldiers who sacrificed their vices to become righteous leaders. I mean, we are warriors of the heart and swing swords of compassion in the face of your reaction to my black hoodie. Stop being afraid of my black hoodie. Stop being afraid of my shadow. Shadows were meant to have your back to secure the love we can carry forward. I am the ink on your empty canvas, a picture on your wall hanging with memoirs of a bright future shining from a black sun. Did you forget that we too know how to kiss babies on their foreheads? Now go ahead and swim in the ocean they use to baptize your principles. It's not that difficult to remember us. They gave us February, but nah, we're going to celebrate all the way to December. And I don't want you to just remember. I want you to become a soldier. Load up between your shoulders with the gift of critical thinking. I'm singing a song about legacy against the plague of ignorance as the enemy. You become a friend of me, and I will show you colors that love has never seen before. I am a soldier, using language as my weapon and leaving stains of scripture throughout history to remind you you need all the colors if you're trying to paint a masterpiece. You dig? <laughs> you need all the colors if you're trying to paint a masterpiece. Yeah. Michael, we did it, bro. <laughs> we did a podcast, bro. Real talk, man. Hey, I'm a man of my word. And I was Dude. and I invited you and you were like, yes. And I trusted. And it, it, man, I just want to also say, yeah. I don't want to skim over. First of all, thank you for that last poem. Of course, man. Yeah, man. I feel like... Uh, thank you for listening, for having me, man. Yeah, no, I feel like... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually inspired to go a little vulnerable. And, uh, you know, I, 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 went, uh, I went up to Standing Rock um, a while back. Oh, okay. And uh, it was actually... Man, I'm getting a little emotional. It was, um, it was actually a caravan of veterans. Uh, and it was beautiful, huh? And we did a four-day bus, bus ride from Los Angeles up to South Dakota. And, man, it was so powerful, like, to ride on the bus and hear the story of these veterans, you know, moving through PTSD. A lot of them na Native, Native American veterans. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine, right, like, the, the atrocities committed by the U.S. government and military against Native Americans, and then these were Native Americans that served in the U.S. military proudly, and they were going to then be in service nonviolently to as water protectors, right? And so hearing their stories, man, it was like, it touched me so deeply. And to get off, we got off at the bus, and I was, I was walking with a gentleman, a, a Native American veteran, and my dad actually had served also, and so and he had dementia. So in part, I wanted to go in in his honor, you know, because he was always a, for me a warrior of compassion, a true a true lover, you know, yeah. a true man, a stand for love and grace. And we got there, and 
I happened to be at the sacred council fire when it was like declared. I haven't shared. I don't, I've never shared this. And they were offering, you know, tobacco, and they were offering to the fire fire that had not let had not been let go extinct, right? A fire that mm. is perpetually burning as an offering. And I happened to, and it was a strange space to be because I, I felt in a way, I, I felt welcome, but I felt in a, in a strange way like, whoa, like super humbled and just wanting, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I was made to feel welcome. And they declared at that moment sort of, in a way, victory, a pause on the pipeline, which had just been, spoken about after months of a of, of very, very uh, intense uh, mm -hmm. situation. And at that gathering, there was a group of veterans um, that sat with a council of elders, native elders, and got on their knees and asked for forgiveness. Wow. It was one of the most beautiful expressions I had ever seen and it, 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 it's it's there's a Hawaiian uh, prayer called Ho'oponopono and it's um, and it's beautiful to do for those listening with anyone you have discord with or with loved ones I did it um, with my parents and let me just tell you it was transformative and the prayer is Seemingly simple but profound. It's please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you. And off the context of that, you can add the context of what that means in the context of a relationship. Yeah. I did that with my mother earlier this week. In part, I think, sparked by some of the conversations we had. And I had, when we last saw each other, because because of the loss of my father, things have been a little, uh, at times, tense. Yeah. And when I think about, and I'm going to say this ineloquently, but when I think about race, when I think about um, just, you know, that false story, that false notion of separation, Mm. And, but, but then when I think about the very real sh shit that some of which I can't even think about, you know, um, I, I just feel, I feel called, even when it isn't your fault, to say I'm sorry. Because I feel that not from a place of have to but get to, whether it be as a society or as individuals, we get to end certain ancestral patterns that will enable us to move into a better way. I know what you're saying, yeah. And I saw that modeled in, in, this, in this very beautiful moment at Standing Rock, and I saw the healing that that meant, man. And also I saw the purpose. You know, imagine. Because you let go. Yeah. You're letting go at that, at that moment. Yes. You're letting it go. Yeah. You're not holding on to that trauma, to that that dark energy anymore, yes. you're letting it go. Yeah, yeah, man, so I just, I feel like, um, I don't know where that came from, but just off that last poem, it, it, it really felt like that, man, you know, to, to the peoples of color, 
to anyone, you know, genders, women, people who have seen systematic oppression. You know, in my own small way, I say, I'm sorry. In my own way, I say, let's find, you know, let's, let's, let's find our collective dance, you know, let's find our way back to a good way, you know, in the way that I saw in Sri Lanka, you know, and the way I saw at Standing Rock, where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, um, I feel like once things are finally, it's why, it's why truth and reconciliation work in, in South Africa. I mean, think about the genius of Nelson Mandela, right? <laughs> man, that man yeah, yeah, was yeah. in prison for 27 years, and at 80 years old came out with the wisdom and the energy to, dev to bring back, a, I mean, you think about just any misstep in what he did and the insight that it brought, but I feel like the, the necessity for a true tru truth and reconciliation process, I feel like would be a healing for us all, you know, collectively. Yeah. And, I, and I, so my, my if I will, because I, I am a, although I don't speak about it often, I am a spiritual man. And I feel like if we could do a, if my call would be if we could do a collective ho'oponopono and find a way to be in a beautiful way with each other, I would love that. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. And I think in that process, I'm going to be listening to some good music that brings me the good juju. And I'm going to be listening to your beautiful words that I think remind us of where we can be and remind us of who we are. Thanks for having me, bro. This is dope. This is, <laughs> this is cool, man. Hey, before cool. we go, though, I want to do, not to shift from a deeply... Um, resonant context but let me let me also say for those for those listening because you've shared a lot of wisdom um where can they find you um just put in a search engine six letters o v e o u s that could be in a streaming platform or a search engine and uh you will find me on socials whatever that's all the same thing o v e o u s my name is obvious and I'm here for you guys, for the people. I am an artist for the people. This is not about me. This is about us. And I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> Obvious. Yeah. You're a stand for the us, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, pleasure. Oh, man. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we definitely, you know, I think took it some places. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this extremely powerful conversation with Obvious. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think would appreciate it. Uh, leave us a rating and review over on iTunes. And as always, you can provide feedback at Michael Trainer on social media. Um, I always appreciate hearing what you thought and also do my best to get back to everyone and also if you have any thoughts around guests you think would be fantastic please feel free to reach out sending you guys so much love uh, go check out the sponsor Mudwater if you guys are interested in coffee alternatives it's an incredible incredible product I'm, I'm really a fan uh, peak mind to check out if you want a discount and otherwise man I'm just wishing you guys the most beautiful day sending you so much love and uh, until next week Go out there and live your inspired life.